the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the Week 9 College Football Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Colin, we've had some very exciting weekends of awesome college football matchups. This one isn't the prettiest slate, so you know what that means. Get (laughs) ready for chaos. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I think we're going to get some upsets this week. What I'm excited about, Stuck, also is that a lot of these win totals are like, I'd say over half the ones that I placed early in the season, they're starting to get decided. Like, I don't have to sweat Nevada anymore. I don't have to sweat Arkansas State anymore. The fact that we're getting into Maction, really close to having a football game every single day. Are you serious? Maction, you gotta love it. It's just the perfect time of year. Yeah, I mean, we're, we don't have to wait for a football every day. For the next 27 days, we're recording this on Thursday evening, there is at least one football game. Uh, it's sad that there's not one every day in November. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving, there's no football game. But, yeah, and speaking of Maction, I will have my midseason Maction manifesto, like 12,000 words, I think it's going to be, about every team. I've already started on it. It is labor intensive but a labor of love so i will tweet that out make sure everyone reads that that'll be out on monday with weekday match and starting tuesday it's a crazy mac year so there's a lot to catch up on like only four teams have started the same quarterback all year like there's backups all over the place it's so it's the wild wild west in the math this year i can't wait to read it to see if northern illinois is still the villain i'm not sure they're still the villain right now buffalo is my villain so we'll see yeah buffalo is my villain too yeah northern illinois I mean, they were down to their third-string quarterback. I think Paxton Lynch's little brother, who's like their running quarterback, they had both their top quarterbacks hurt last week. But they, you know, they won every one-possession game last year. Now they're losing one-possession games. And they were had a lot of luck on fourth down last year. Now they're unlucky on fourth downs. The regression monster has hit NIU, which is why they're losing close games and are, have only two wins on the year. And there's some quarterback injuries. But I digress. Before we get into... Friday Night Lights, and then we'll get into our marquee games rundown. And yes, there'll be trash. I'll have my trash segment, as always. Um, Heads up to our listeners out there this week. Mark the return of the NBA. That means lifelong NBA fanatics like myself can dive into Action Network's new and improved NBA podcast, Buckets, every weekday this NBA season. Yep, that's every weekday. Shout out to Matt Moore. So if you're into betting the NBA, check out the Buckets podcast wherever you like to listen. All right, let's get into the Week 8 slate, starting with some Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. All right, we have two games on Friday. ECU at BYU, the more exciting game. BYU is a three-point home favorite over under 63. You know, this is an intriguing game. ECU is 
just off a of, uh, blowout win against UCF, although pretty misleading box score benefited from some turnovers and other factors. Holt Nailers is balling. The ECU run defense is elite, like elite elite. It's crazy. Mike Houston's been wanting a run defense there and some bodies up front. He's finally got them. ECU can't, you know, isn't really running the ball well. They can't run block. And then on the other side, and, and their secondary is pretty bad and vulnerable. The other side, BYU can't run the ball. So they're not going to run it here against ECU. You would think that they're going to come out slinging it. And they, their defense has fallen off a cliff. So when I first look at this game, my initial thought would be, okay, both teams are going to sling it around here. And it's just going to be kind of shootout vibes. Both secondaries can be exploited. I don't, if either bothers running the ball, it's going to be a waste of time. Will BYU be healthy at receiver is a question. But I think both passing offenses can have success here. What is going on with the BYU defense, and what do you see in this game? Yeah, I mean, BYU's defense, we've known, has been bad for quite a while. Uh, can't tackle anybody, can't defend the, the pass. And, you know, when I looked at this game, I thought, well, this is a spot maybe where we should play East Carolina. But then when I kind of dug further into it, the fact that running back Christopher Brooks is out for BYU means there's going to be more passing. And yes, I know wide receiver Cody Epps has also been ruled out, but Puka Nakua is back and both Epps and Nakua are very explosive targets. They're, I think they're the only ones that are over two yards per route run. You're right. This is going to be slinging it around and East Carolina is much better against the run than they are against the pass. They're near dead last and having a pass rush. They're 76th in coverage and they just have poor success rate and explosive numbers when it comes to passing downs. And when you look at ECU's schedule, and this is going to come up with another team we're going to talk about later, ninth straight game. Next week is a bye. I'm not really sure how invested they are in a non-conference game, going to elevation, bye week coming up, aspirations outside of whatever this is. They're going to make a bowl. Temple's, you know, they got five wins. Temple's the last game of the year. I'm not really sure how much ECU is into this game, but the fact that they are a great rush defense and that's not what BYU is going to do, I think I might be on the Cougars here, which I didn't think I was when I first thought about this game. Yeah, it could be a lot. Yeah, BYU comes out throwing. I think Aylers will have success too, throwing the ball. I mean, ECU's defense, top 20 in EPA per rush and rush success rate. Their pass defense, outside the top 100 in both. So, you know, BYU likes to throw the ball, and they cannot run it. BYU can't run it. Uh, they are hundred outside the top 100 in rush success rate, and their pass offense has been really good despite some injuries at quarterback. And, yeah, you can throw on ECU. And then the BYU defense just across the board has been horrific. I mean, you're talking 100 outside the top 100 in basically every metric. So, yeah, I think that this could turn into a shootout, and I don't hate the call on BYU buying them low, but I do think ECU's offense will have success. If if the kid Bennett for Liberty, like in all their injuries on offense, could shred them, I mean, Holt Nailers and these receivers could as well, but I think BYU will have no problem scoring here. And uh, yeah, the, the elevation and the fatigue might catch up to ECU in the second half here. Yeah. And there, like you said, there's a chance they could come out flat. Ninth game in a row is a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, you, you, you'll... You start to see a, uh, especially when teams go on the road, you start to see, um, you'll start to see the effects of that, especially in second halves of games. All right. The other game is disgusting, but I'm wearing a Florida International shirt <laughs> because Char- I said I'd buy it if Charlotte, because Charlotte lost outright. FIU is hosting Louisiana Tech. FIU is a six and a half point home dog over under 57. I did say last week F- FIU would 
if they get Chambers back, it'll be a huge help. He went bananas. He's an awesome receiver. He's their best player by far. So you assume he's back here. La Tech has quarterback questions. This game is gross. You assume no one's going to be at this game again. I remember they had the Miami Vice field. It looked cool as shit. There was no one there uh, when they played Friday night the other week. Make sense of this horrendous game. Well, Parker McNeil is the name that you need to pay attention to. This number, which both – you took did you take it on the app? I know I took it on the app when Florida International was like seven and a half, eight. I, it was above a touchdown, and I – you know, the way that Florida International has been playing, I knew that this was going to come down. Uh, but now we're – as Stucky and I are recording this, uh, we're sitting at around six, six and a half, and it's continuing to drop. And that is because second-string quarterback for Louisiana Tech, Matthew Downing, is definitely out. Parker, Parker McNeil is a game time decision. He is their starter, but he was also knocked out of the game last week. Now in that overtime game, uh, Landry Liddy came in. He's had two appearances this year. He's five of eight passing, but they did not win in overtime because his attempt in overtime, he threw it maybe 10 yards away from where his target was. Florida Nationals covered three of four outright win against Charlotte last week. They are seventh in the nation in pass rush. Like I had to double check, like clear my eyes. Florida National has a pass rush. Um, so that doesn't sound too good for, for Landry Liddy, who's the third string quarterback. But keep an eye on Parker McNeil. That's the big name because if he is in for Louisiana Tech, you're going to see a bounce on this back up to seven. Otherwise, Florida National could flat out win this game. I will not be betting that game. Um, FIU, I need a break for a week from FIU. All right, let's – I will always have my cover on UConn as a favorite at FIU. All right, let's move on to some more meaningful games and ones that everyone will watch on Saturday. Let's get into our marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week nine. All right, there's only three. We'll have seven in the rundown before I get to my trash. Let's kick things off. We have a nice... Separation of time here. One at noon, one at 3.30, and one at 7. Let's start at noon on Fox. Ohio State at Penn State. Penn State, 14.5-point underdog, over under 60.5. Very intriguing game here. Penn State has been a weird team to kind of crack on a week-to-week basis. You had last week against Minnesota. I don't know where all that came from, but... All of a sudden, the passing offense looks really good. And the run defense, that was probably what I was most impressed by against Minnesota's size. So can Sean Clifford have another good game here, or will he turn into a pumpkin? I don't know. That's one of the big handicaps here, because contrary to popular belief, Penn State can't run the ball. You know, people are like, yeah, they were supposed to have a balanced offense. They have more talent at running back, but just not working. They're outside the top 100 and rush success rate, EPA per rush. And I don't think that that's... They're going to have much success running it against Ohio State. So I'll be curious to see how Penn State plays this. I think their best chance is to come out tempo and then hope you get the good Clifford and throw the ball. The more interesting handicaps on the other side of the ball. <clears throat> and by the way, no matter what you look at with Ohio State, they're, they're number one in every metric because they played nobody. Um, so like it's hard to really break down. I mean, even against Iowa last week, a really good defense. They only had 350 yards. It's not like their offense was cooking despite 54 points. Um, you know, they they ran the ball 30 times for 66 yards, which I found interesting against Iowa. And Iowa has a really good defense. But Iowa had six turnovers, went one of four on fourth down, and one of 13 on third down. Like, that's they, just their complete ineptitude. They just gave the game away to Ohio State. 
so, you know, Jackson Smith at Najigba still banged up. Are we sure this Ohio State team is, you know, ready to come out and start cooking right away? Because, like, and the defense, too. Like, you know, they, they dominated Michigan State. Michigan State was all beat up, and we'll talk about them later. But remember the Notre Dame game? It was meh. So it's really hard to figure out who Ohio State is right now. I mean, I have them as the top-rated team in the country. But I show value on Penn State here. I make the line like 13. So I should take over two touchdowns here. I also think that the Ohio State defense, you know, could be in for maybe a little early shock. Yeah, just they haven't faced a top 50 offense this year. And if you get good Sean Clifford out here in front of the awesome home crowd, I could see Penn State making this game early. Now, the Michigan game scares me. Um, you have the Michigan game, you have the, you know, you have an Auburn game, you look good. You have the Minnesota game, they look good. You have a couple bad opponents where they look bad. And the Michigan just destroyed them. But I'm kind of intrigued by Penn State plus seven and a half first half. I think that they can come out, maybe Ohio State takes some time to adjust. This is Penn State Super Bowl. Because I think that with the 14 and a half, like I think Penn State has to stay close here early or this gets ugly. But this is uh, not the easiest handicap, but I think it's Penn State or nothing here. I'm very close to playing the Nittany Lions. What do you see here? I just played it. I was throwing money across the counter. There is. I still can't believe what Penn State's numbers are when it comes to PBUs, Stucky. In case you haven't seen, Penn State is lapping college football and pass breakups. I think they have 58, and the next closest to them is somewhere around 42. Um, yeah, I should have. Yeah, that, I should have mentioned that by the way, because Ohio State wants to throw the ball. You know, yeah. They want to run. They but that's where they're most dangerous. And Penn State has one of the most talented secondaries it, in the country, led by Joey Porter Jr. Yes, yeah. The, they are putting up numbers that are just absolutely insane right now when it comes from defending the pass. Uh, you can't put a ball up in the air. It'll get knocked down. And I might be the only person in the country that covers college football that might say this. I think C.J. Stroud has a little bit of fool's gold. There's some things in his numbers I'm not agreeing with whatsoever. Yeah, 28 touchdowns and four interceptions. And that's the reason why he's leading in the Heisman odds. But he only has 13 big-time throws, and he has 10 turnover-worthy plays. That is eye-opening compared to what he did last year. He had three turnover-worthy plays against Iowa last week. He's almost doubled his turnover-worthy play rate from last year. So this C.J. Stroud-Heisman thing, I understand it from a TD to INT. But it's not showing in the numbers, and it's not drops. I know Marvin Harrison can't get separation. I know Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, hasn't been healthy. I understand all these things, but C.J. Stroud, it, it's not drops. It's on him. And so when you get to that part of it, Penn State is knocking things down. C.J. Stroud is not as good throwing. So it's going to have to be Ohio State running the ball. So that kind of helps maybe a case for the under, but it definitely helps a huge inflated spread with Penn State. So if you're betting on Penn State, which I did, then you're betting Sean Clifford doesn't give away a pick six. You're banking Ohio State is poor in their red zone defense numbers, which they are, but it's limited, right? They've had 11 trips by opponents to the red zone. So I don't really put their finishing drives and red zone numbers in, but it's still not good. They're giving up a lot of touchdowns whenever teams get in there. And the Penn State pass defense has to force Ohio State to be one-dimensional. I don't think Penn State can win this game, but cover, yeah, give it to me. And by the way, there's steam in the market here as you and I are talking. I think it's coming back down to 14. Yeah, but that's another case for my first half play because we both agree 
that Ohio State should have success running the ball. Mm-hmm. And if Ohio State builds a lead, then, you know, and then they can tee off on Clifford on pass, like knowing he's going to throw it. And then they can just go to the ground and, like Michigan did, be able to extend that way. Um, so I think that Penn State has to stay close early. And there might be like, you know, the noon kick. Penn State hasn't really faced like anybody. I mean, Ohio State hasn't faced anybody. So there might be like a little shock to the system facing like a, a real offense early, a, a real defense. Um, you know, they got to face Iowa last week, but they, I, I could see Penn State starting fast here. And I think that's what they have to do in order to have a chance. Look, I, James Franklin has played Michigan close historically. I don't really know what that means, but if you take any credence in that, that he has, they, they usually lose by like one or two. Like there's been a couple times where they at home, they would be really close and then just couldn't pull it out. But well, yeah, I think he the, said that in his press yeah. room this week. He said that this week. He, the reason Franklin's, you know, Franklin said that we have to show things that we've never shown, but we have to do things and execute things that we've never put on film. So to this point, and the reason why this Penn State team usually covers, there's some offensive plays in there that have been kept in the bag. We just need Sean Clifford not to bottom out here for one game, please. There's a lot of errands. Like sometimes you get good Clifford, sometimes you get bad Clifford. And we have a big sample size of that. It's not like he's a freshman. We're still trying to figure out who he is. Above two touchdowns and above a touchdown in the first half, I think the look is Penn State. All right, let's move on to our second marquee game of the day. Oklahoma State. At Kansas State, Kansas State's a one-and-a-half-point favorite over under 56. This game's at 3.30 on Fox. Don't have to change your main TV if you're betting on these two main games. People know my thoughts on Oklahoma State. Go Pokes. Uh, I am on Kansas State here. I will be on Kansas State more. Uh, Will Howard's going to go, which is good enough for me. I don't think Adrian Martinez is going to play, but he's questionable. He has a knee injury. He took himself out of the game because of it. Last week, I'm assuming it's up to him, but Will Howard's getting most of the first team reps. I think all of the first team reps this week so far. Look, Oklahoma State, I got to give them credit this year, but there's there's holes in this team. They're kind of like the they remind me of the Giants uh, in the NFL. Like they're just finding ways to win. Like last week, you get 14 to nothing penalties. You get Texas missing a field goal late. You get uh, three Texas turnovers. You know, they were big turnover. They, you know, at the end of the game, you throw two picks. You have another turnover early in the game, a couple turnover on downs. Yes, Oklahoma State turned it over twice, but it didn't lead to any Texas points. You know, they had a, a muff punt, and then Texas turned it over on downs. Quinn Ewers just turned into a pumpkin in the second half, and he just couldn't make any throws. I don't know if it was the win. I don't know if it was his mental state as a freshman. I don't know if he was dealing with something, but, you know, one thing Texas did well all game is they ran all over Oklahoma State. They ran for six and a half yards per carry. One thing Oklahoma State couldn't do is they couldn't run the ball, as they haven't been able to do all year. And that's big against Kansas State because Kansas State's secondary is top 20 in EPA per pass this year. Oklahoma State's also dealing with a lot of injuries. They had six starters out, might have up to seven missing in this game. And I, I think that just from a you know, a spot perspective. And I know Gundy's with 15 and two against the spread as a dog. That is to me, that is completely meaningless here. And and these stats as a dog is like, that's the, the spread is one. Like, come on. It, it's not like he's catching like 10 here, but you know, when I, I look at Oklahoma state, they have to be absolutely 
gassed physically, mentally. They're dealing with a ton of injuries. This is their fifth Big 12 game of the month. They're, they've all, you know, they, they, most of them are right down. The last two went right down to the wire. Meanwhile, Kansas State had a bye two weeks ago. Should be much more rested. They have a couple bumps and bruises, specifically to Adrian Martinez. I'm hearing from a little birdie that Deuce Vaughn will be good to go. Look, it's funny that Oklahoma State, Kansas State in this game, this will be the third straight year that Oklahoma State has faced a backup quarterback in this game, assuming Will Howard goes. Kansas State will be able to lean on its ground game here, wear down this exhausted, beat-up Oklahoma State defense. Look, also, they're 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 bottom 10 in, in, in the country in early down EPA. That is a bad sign for this defense. I'll take the more rested team with the superior rushing attack and defense in a favorable spot at home. And for what it's worth, since Chris Kleiman took over the job at Kansas State, if he covers this game, he will be the most profitable coach against the spread over that span. If he doesn't, it's Gundy. This is for the against the spread crown of college football head coaches since Clyman took over at Kansas State. Both of these guys have been absolutely money uh, when you backed them. E-ball, Wildcats, Kansas State gets it done at home. The voodoo show ends and the frauds can go away. Yeah, we so we just got news like 16 minutes ago that uh, uh, it looks like Adrian Martinez is game time decision. So Adrian Martinez is really the one holding this number up. I can't promote the action app enough. There was a couple books holding Oklahoma State plus three on open. And then by Sunday night, it was Kansas State plus one and a half. So I dipped on both of those, you know, took the under earlier today because the news could have been, you know, bad. But you can easily get out of that now, too, if you want. But if you're going to go with this game, I mean, you're really waiting for Adrian Martinez because Will Howard. I mean, 10 designed rushing yards. I'm sorry, 10 designed rushing attempts against TCU. And he just had 30 yards on those gap runs with, with pulling linemen. He, they didn't run any zone reads whatsoever, which is what Martinez uses about 30% of the time. You know, the Oklahoma State defense, they're eighth in stuff right and 14th in line yards. So those numbers are kind of falling as the season goes along. Texas was 6.4 per carry. TCU was 5.2 per carry. So they've had a lot of success against this Oklahoma State defense. And that's where... You hear Stucky and myself and some others say this Oklahoma State defense is not as good as what everybody thinks it is. And then you go and you look at the game logs, right? They also have injuries, too. They lost, like, two defensive linemen might be out. They you know, they have receivers that are hurt, guys in the secondary. I mean, yeah. It is a beat-up defense. The, the number in the market right now says that Adrian Martinez is going to play. There's if, there, if it's Will Howard, then that number needs to move about three points. So everything in the market says that Adrian Martinez is going to play. You know, be careful. Co- Coach Kleiman has yet to beat Gundy in three head-to-heads. So under for me, officially, we'll see how it goes with Adrian Martinez on which side I'm going to play. Yeah, I mean, look, they they face Oklahoma State's when they played them, they've always had a, a backup quarterback. Last year when they played, uh, Jaron Lewis started for Kansas State. And the year before that, Will Howard got the start because what's his name? Skylar Thompson was hurt. This yeah. be a third straight year of backup starts. I actually make this game four and a half with Adrian Martinez. It's a little, it's a little bit of a drop off with Howard, but I actually don't think it's that big of a drop off. I would still play it up to minus two and a half and give me the Wildcats. As a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. 
Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee red line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, let's move on to our third marquee game of the day. Let's go to the SEC at night. It'll be very fun here at our bars. Let me know if you're in Lexington. Uh, Kentucky at Tennessee. Tennessee is a 12-point home favorite. Over under 61. This game's at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. It's a really interesting game. Kentucky's coming off of a bye. Tennessee coming off of a quasi-buy. A 50-burger in the first half. Yeah, shout out to E.T. Martin for the sec- for the live and second half cover. Maybe Tennessee gets Cedric Tillman back. That's He's one of the best receivers in the country. Don't know if he'll be a full go, but he's going to be back very soon. They might just hold him for Georgia, but they might just want to get him a couple snaps and get him some live run before that game, which is next week. I don't know if necessarily know if Tennessee's overlooking Kentucky. It's like a rivalry. It's Kentucky. But maybe, maybe they're, I mean, they're kids. Maybe they're they're taking this game for granted. Have to at least bring it up. This is a really interesting matchup in that Kentucky, these are complete opposite teams, by the way. Kentucky is like a snail, and then Tennessee is a super speed racer. Tennessee has this electric passing attack. Kentucky wants to lean on its run game and Kentucky. That's this is what's so fascinating. Kentucky. If you go back the last 20 years, there are two coaches who are as road under coaches. It's Jimbo Fisher, which makes sense. And Mark Stoops. What, what is, and, and what does Kentucky do? Kentucky over the, you know, since Stoops has been there and what do they usually do in the FCC play? They're playing teams that are better than them. So what does Kentucky want to do? Play, shorten the game, control the clock, run the ball, limit the amount of possessions, which makes sense when you're the inferior team. That's what that stoops them out. The problem is you can't do that here. You can't run the ball. I know Chris Rodriguez is back, but your offensive line stinks, and Tennessee's run D is elite. Like, it's elite. Any metric you look at, Tennessee's run D is elite. Their secondary is not. So... Does Kentucky come out here and say, let's throw and go toe-to-toe with Tennessee? I think that's the smartest approach, but it's not in their DNA. They're not, like, controlling the clock and keeping the Tennessee offense on the sidelines and wearing them down, taking the crowd out. So I don't know if Kentucky's going to play this because I think they just should come out and say, let's throw it around the field, take advantage of the weak point of Tennessee's defense. But that's never how Stoops plays these games. But he should here because Kentucky, this, the big blue wall is no longer there. 
they can't just line up and run it. They couldn't run it against Mac teams. They're not running it against this Tennessee rush defense. That's really good. Really good. So having trouble with this one, I, I, I'm higher on Tennessee than I think everyone in the world. So, but I, and I only make this like 11-8. So, I mean, I, I don't see any value in the side of total. This will this game will shatter if Kentucky is just coming out throwing it all over. This game probably goes under if Kentucky plays it like they always play road games in the SEC. And that's just like run, 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 go very slow. So I don't know. Maybe I look live at the total, depending on how Kentucky is coming out early. Very fascinating game from an X's and O's standpoint. What do you see here? Well, I said this on Green Dot Daily, and I'll say it again here on the podcast. This is the last time I'm fading Tennessee because the correlations with LSU 2019. It is. I learned my lesson from 2019 LSU. Like, I was hot on Burrow against Texas, and then I never bet them again for the rest of the year. Got to the national championship game in Vegas with you. And uh, my precious Trevor Lawrence got smacked by LSU and Joe Burrow. So uh, I'm seeing a lot of correlations here. And what I mean is, is math guys, you know, that keep power ratings and do analytics, they can't keep up with where these point spreads are in the market. And Tennessee just continues to cover them. Uh, My number is eight and a half. So, of course, anything in this market right now looks like that there's value on the other side. You know, whether I'm, you know, be damned that it doesn't fit for the team that they're playing to, to actually back them. Um, you know, it's a tough spot, but I, I've learned my lesson with LSU a couple of years ago. Now, the problem with LSU and the other correlation. Well, you I, haven't learned your lesson yet. You say you you will learn your lesson if you lose this weekend. If I lose this. I'll, I'm I'll, skeptical. I, I think I'm going to see you here next week, same time with a with a Georgia shirt on, but we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think you just lay it and close your eyes with Tennessee if they blow this one out. So I, I think the, the, the last correlation I'll make between LSU is that they couldn't tackle anybody halfway through that schedule. And Vanderbilt put up 30 points on that 2019 LSU team. And then Dave Aranda was like, we're having to come to Jesus meeting and we're going to learn how to tackle. And that's what's going on here. Like missed tackles for Tennessee, UT Martin, there was 11, Bama, there was 12, LSU, there was 12. Uh, It's too many. They need to be around five or six per game if if they want to have a better defense. So UT is still outside the top 100 defensively in havoc and coverage. Uh, They're not going to win a national championship with those numbers. So we're going to find out if Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, is going to be able to fix those fundamentals. And if he's going to be able to, like, pivot off, you know, a little bit of man, play a little bit more zone, uh, be more versatile in their coverage. But I, I think what's interesting about this game is that Kentucky embraced the tempo last year. Look at that score, 45 to 42. It was a one possession game going into the fourth quarter. Kentucky ultimately lost 45 to 42. But if you told Stoops right now, I'll give you a one possession game and a tempo atmosphere going into the fourth quarter, I bet you he would take it. So if you're betting Kentucky, which I am, the formula is zone defense with safety help on Jalen Hyatt. You got to assign a spy on Hendon Hooker scrambles. Will Levis deep passing. He's only had 10. Did you know he only had 10 completions this year? Over 20 yards. Like, what are they doing with Will Levis? He's not running. They, He's not they miss throwing. Robinson, too. You need the biggest thing is you need the refs. You know, Tennessee is 120th in penalties. Uh, I'm not placing any bets on a team's penalty rate rate, but at the same time, you're going to need that assistance in this game if you're going to take a Kentucky play. So that's the formula. Is Stoops willing to scrap 32 seconds per play? Is he willing to get Levis to throw downfield? Is he willing to go up tempo? Uh, we're going to see, but that is the formula to keep this close and try to beat Tennessee. By the way, that Tennessee, Kentucky, Kentucky had the ball for 46 minutes and Tennessee only like 13. I think Kentucky ran a hundred plays in that game. Uh, 50 yeah. pass, 50 run. It was just Tennessee scoring. 
and then on like one play, and then Kentucky would get it and drive down the field and then score, and then the same thing kept repeating itself. Wild game. All right, let's move on to the rundown. They never quit. It's unbelievable. All right, let's start with a game that I love. Um, I think Notre Dame wins this game. I played I played some three early in the week. I would wait, you know, kind of a dead zone on to see if it hits three. I still like it at two and a half, though. Uh, this is also – it's just a bad spot for Syracuse. Potential letdown, right? Like, now all of their – unrealistic aspirations and hopes and dreams are gone. Like you're not winning the ACC. Now you can't go to the college football playoff. Like, right. All the, all these things that the kids were thinking as an undefeated team, you come back, you play Notre Dame, a little bit of a letdown here, noon kick, even if it's in carrier dome. And I just, my suspicions were confirmed about this Syracuse team that they weren't that good. I mean, they lost, they almost lost to a bad Virginia team who went one of three on fourth down and missed both field goal attempts. Syracuse won by two at home. And then they, should have lost to a beat up Purdue team. Well, you know, that 80% post game win expectancy. And then last week, yeah, they, they covered, but they were outgained by about 170 yards. They really benefited from turnovers. And I just, just didn't come away impressed. Now Notre Dame has been very inconsistent on a week to week basis. The one consistent aspect of the Irish, they've been good away from home. They hung around at Ohio state. They outplayed, BYU dominated them on a neutral site, and then they crushed North Carolina, which looks more impressive now, on the road. And then this just comes down to a matchup advantage for me. Notre Dame could lean on its ground game. Uh, They're top 25 nationally in almost every run-blocking metric, and they're going up against a Syracuse defense that doesn't defend the run well. They're 115th in the country in both rush success rate and EPA per rush. And they also lost all three starting defensive linemen from last year, and they've lost multiple defensive linemen to injury. They also might be without their star corner back, Garrett Williams, again. So, I, yeah, I just think Notre Dame could control the line of scrimmage here, control the clock, move the chains, get in easy passing situations. And, you know, the Orange should have some success running it, but they're gonna. there's going to be enough negative plays that Notre Dame can make with its, with its pass rush, which is the strength of its defense, 14th in sack rate against a bad offensive line and pass protection for Syracuse. Also, the penalties, Notre Dame not penalized much at all. They're well coached in that department. Uh, Syracuse yeah, has a lot of penalties, penalty problem. And also, just from a regression standpoint, Notre Dame is dead last in the country in takeaways. They're going to get some soon. I think they come here. Since 2005, no team has turned a larger profit against ranked opponents than the Irish. I think they add another one here. Give me Notre Dame. Yeah. I'm going to join you. I just can't figure out if I'm doing two and a half or if I'm doing money line. And when I first started down this journey, I thought I was going to be on Syracuse because if you look at Notre Dame's schedule, it's like they have a boost because in finishing drives against UNLV, they had 11 trips inside the 40 for 44 points. Uh, you know, almost the exact same numbers against UNC's defense. And then a loss to Stanford. They, you know, there was just three offensive drives past the 40, and then in nine trips against BYU, just 24 points. The Irish are facing defenses that are outside the top 75, and they've built their offensive numbers against some pretty poor defenses. So I kind of have to take these Notre Dame numbers and set them aside. I can't just automatically assume all this green that I see in the Syracuse defense is going to dominate this pretty one-dimensional, boring, conservative Notre Dame Offense. So let's talk about Michael Meyer, the tight end, uh, because every other pass target from Pine is going to go to Michael Meyer. Notre Dame is going to have a ton of success there. 
Let's just go ahead and look and see what Syracuse has done against tight ends the past couple of weeks. Clemson's most explosive play last week came from tight end Davis Allen versus Syracuse. He had three catches for 51 yards. NC State's most explosive pass with their backup quarterback was the tight end Christopher Tootle. They have not been able to keep tight ends from having explosive plays. Uh, the defense got beat up against Clemson. So yeah, I'm not sure. They already lost two defensive, t- two defensive linemen. Their depth there is young and thin. I don't know if they have the defense right now that is at full strength or even half strength to try even defend tight end Michael Meyer. So uh, fitting right before Halloween, we're talking about Michael Meyer. Notre Dame is going to win this game because Syracuse is going to penalty themselves out. They're too beat up at the running back position. Their defense is completely bruised up. Half the starters won't even be in the game. And nobody has been able to defend the tight end position the last two weeks against Clemson and NC State. So I'm with you on Notre Dame. All right, let's move on to TCU at West Virginia. This game's at noon ESPN. West Virginia's seven and a half point home dog over under 68 and a half. My, you know my thoughts on Oklahoma State and TCU, and they're in the same exact spot. Going off the on the road, have to be exhausted. So TCU played their rival SMU, and then they played four consecutive ranked conference opponents. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Kansas State. They had a stage comebacks in each of the past three one possession victories. Meanwhile, I mean West Virginia had a uh, only has only played once since October 13th. TCU's played every week, six straight week. Their rival SMU on the road, four straight conference ranked opponents. And by the way, all four terrible defenses, just like West Virginia, besides Kansas State. And quarterback, they all all TCU does is get backup quarterbacks. They knocked out Dylan Gabriel in the first half, knocked out Jalen Daniels, knocked out Adrian Martinez. Then knocked out Will Howard. At one point, you know, Kansas State went to their third string and threw a pick. The only starting quarterback to finish a game over that stretch was Spencer Sanders, who was clearly hurt in the second half. So I think that TCU's defensive numbers, which aren't good, are even worse than they because of all the backup quarterbacks that they've gotten to face during games, which is even better than facing them, you know, when the backup quarterback knows and you can practice with the ones and prepare for the backup. So I think this TCU defense is exhausted, is vulnerable. Their pass defense in particular can be exploited, and that's all West Virginia does is throw the ball at home here. And look, even with all those breaks, they're still 93rd in EPA per pass, the TCU defense. So, and look, for what it's worth, Sonny Dykes, it's the exact weekend his teams fall off a cliff and lose every game the rest of the way. That's what's happened in the last three years at SMU. I know he has a little more talent now at TCU. And Sonny Dykes, when ranked, one in 10 against the spread on the road against an unranked conference opponent. He is the least profitable coach in that scenario over the past 30 years. One in 10 against the spread. TCU might be running on empty. I mean, last week they came out a little flat against Kansas State. They were down 18. And then you get all the backup quarterbacks. Your adrenaline goes. They start making the comeback because Kansas State can't do anything. Now you got to get up again. This is 11 a.m. kick for their time in Morgantown. Great by low spot of West Virginia after getting embarrassed. I think that they can keep this at least within one possession. Should be a shootout. West Virginia's defense also stinks for what it's worth. They should not get many stops. Be similar to the Baylor game. I assume maybe you get – I think they're, they're going to win outright for what it's worth. I think they'll get like a turnover here or there. And uh, they're going to – you're going to get a good JT Daniels game. Give me West Virginia plus seven and a half. Uh, I'm against you. I, oh, I thought oh, – yeah. you on TCU? 
Shocker. Uh, yeah, shocker. I think if you've got a TCU 18 to one in your back pocket, you're not going to bet on this game. But I think I am going to bet on this game. The problem is I can't scoop one of these sevens. Every time I get a notification of sevens out there and I try to go grab it, it's gone. Uh, so I'm definitely not scooping seven and a half. But I think I'm going with you. I mean, more I dug into this game. Listen, TCU has been really bad in the first halves. I don't know what's going on in the first half. 17 points in the first half against Kansas State. 13 first what's half. What's going on in the first half? Is that's when they face starting quarterbacks. Then the second half against the first half. <laughs> 13 first half points against Oklahoma State. 10 first half points against Kansas. Uh, and, you know, I'm losing. I lost the first half bet on the BBOC show on Saturday because Kansas State went absolutely berserk in the first half. But you know, once Joe Gillespie has been making his halftime adjustments and yes, there's been some, you know, uh, you know, some other quarterbacks come in uh, TCU. It's just been, they've been routing these teams and the key to being TCU is establishing a good ground attack against a defense that is mid FBS and rushing success rate and stuff rate. And, you know, TCU has given up more. Uh, also they're giving up explosive passes. They've given up more 20 yard pass plays than any team in the country. Uh, almost any team in the country. They've given up 34 passes over 20 yards the bottom of FBS is Vandy at 38. So they're not that far away from being Vanderbilt level. Now, why I'm fading West Virginia when I thought this was going to be the spot, you have to be able to run the ball against TCU. Lead running back Troy Mathis Jr., he's out for this game. Third string Justin Johnson Jr. with 55 rushing attempts is now questionable, likely not to play. CJ Donaldson returned as their workhorse, but he only had 12 carries last week. So then you ask, does West Virginia have a shot in limiting the high-powered TCU attack? Neil Brown came out at his presser, and it's like, starting corner Rashad Ajayi, out. Weak side linebacker Lace Dixon, out. JT Daniels had his worst game of the season, three interceptions all on him. JT Daniels has one big-time throw. Joseph Gillespie is going to be bringing the heat, and that has not been a good formula for JT Daniels so far. So I'm not running out to grab seven and a half, but at TCU minus seven, I'm playing the Frogs. Yeah, no, I mean, I, we'll see if they have the legs. I mean, this spot here is just so good for West Virginia. Yeah, and it is. I don't mind. I don't mind the running back being hurt because West Virginia can't run the ball. E paper pass. They are thirty fourth success rate on offense. They're nineteenth in when they pass the ball. And like I said, TCU's defense ninety eighth E paper pass, and they played multiple backups and third stringers. JT, I want JT Daniels to cook here. And I don't I don't care who's out in the West Virginia defense. They're not getting any stops here. They gotta cause a couple turnovers. <laughs> I'm not expecting any stops. Uh, I'll be hopefully tweeting country roads and some John Denver clips uh Saturday. Almost heaven. West Virginia. All right, let's move on to our next game in the rundown. Arkansas at Auburn. Boy. Auburn plus three and a half home dog, over under 62. This game's at noon. SEC network. I might throw Auburn in around Robin, but no real takes here. Uh, I'll leave that to you. What do you got on your boys? Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, I wrote it up for, uh, over at Action. You guys can go get a full breakdown there, but I am on Auburn also. I didn't think I would be. But I would like four, uh, but, you know, three and a half, I would take them two. And Pippen came out and he said, listen, this is the healthiest Arkansas can possibly be. Unless you've been named out for the season, like Catalan, you're expected to play in this game. So that's 
Kari Johnson, Jaden Johnson return at corners position. Miles Slusher is going to be back. Even though he's listed as questionable, Pittman says they're all going to play. And, you know, wide receiver Jaden Hazelwood, he's in no contact uh, drills this week, but that means that he's going to play. So Arkansas is going to be at more full strength than they've been uh, in weeks. I mean, they were struggling down the stretch here. And the question is, can Auburn defend KJ Jefferson, Raheem Sanders? They're just taking over games right now. Uh, and Pittman was very pleased with Kendall Browse's play calling up in Provo. They opened up the playbook during standard downs. They let KJ Jefferson start throwing the ball. Uh, it resulted uh, in scoring over 50 points in the second half. They just took off. So Pittman is praising Kendall Browse about his new play calling, but Hey, <laughs> that defense still stinks. All right. I mean, <laughs> the Auburn's defense is bad. Arkansas is just as bad, right? They're both terrible in, in defending the rush. They're both terrible defending the pass. They're both terrible at tackling, and they can't keep anybody out of the end zone. So the question is, is can Auburn do enough on offense? And if you haven't seen Robbie Ashford play a quarterback, we're talking high variance here, a guy that can bust touchdown runs on zone read plays and a guy that can fumble the ball six times in this game. And when I watch Robbie Ashford play, and I look at his numbers, and I watch him run the zone read with Tank Bigsby. You know what it reminds me of, Stuck? Reminds me of Jalen Milrow. It looks like Jalen Milrow. And that, if you're an Arkansas fan and you want to back Arkansas, that should scare the absolute shit out of you. Because Arkansas had Alabama on the ropes until Jalen Milrow came into that game and just blazed a trail down the sidelines in, in Razorback Stadium. So, you know, the Razorbacks, they struggle with explosive plays. Uh, they're 130th and opponent plays longer than 30 yards. You know who's dead last and opponent plays longer than 30 yards? Charlotte. Well, Arkansas is second to last. But, uh, you know, the combination of Robbie Ashford and Tank Bigsby, they throw in the tape and they see what Jalen Miller and Jameer Gibbs did, who dominated the Arkansas defense. That's exactly what Auburn's going to line up and do. Who knows if they can do it as well, but. You know, Auburn's fumbled the ball more than – I mean, if you're going to bet on this Auburn team, you need to realize they have fumbled the ball more than any other team in all of FBS, 18 of them this year. I didn't say fumbles loss. I mean, just fumbles total. The ball is always on the carpet. So, uh, you know, I'm betting Auburn. It's not a heavy bet because I don't trust them with this many, uh, you know, fumbles in there. But Auburn can run Robbie Ashford the way Jalen Miller ran for Alabama, and that is a huge issue for Arkansas's defense. All right, heard it here first. Collins fading Arkansas, you know what to do. War Eagle. Uh, all right, Wake at Louisville. This is an interesting game. Louisville is a three-and-a-half-point home underdog, over under 64. This game's at 330 on ACC Network. I want to play Louisville here. Yeah. Another round-robin dog consideration for me. I, I have a couple things that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of the they're, – they're, they're small at corner, which worries me a little bit against these Wake receivers that Harmon could throw it up to. Louisville can get pressure on the quarterback here, which could be a path to success to blow up the mesh point that is the starting point for the Wake Forest offense. But I'm look, Wake Forest just continues to exceed expectations and just got to give them credit. And I, I'm looking at their defensive numbers. Like he, Brad La Lambert is doing a hell of a job with that Wake defense, especially against the run. They've yeah. been really good against the run. I thought they were going to be awful. That scares me a bit against Louisville because Louisville yeah. needs to get it's ground game going, you know, their passing attack is very inconsistent with Malik Cunningham. So I think the spot and the value, like I show value in Louisville here too. Um, but I'm a little scared that maybe I, I just don't have Wake's defense good enough. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, maybe I can get you over the hump. Cause I mean, Louisville was a play immediately for me on Sunday when openers came out 
down, go download the action app, by the way, if you haven't. Uh, and the issue is, is that yes, Brad Lambert and the Wake Forest defense are good against the run, but they're good against running backs who are getting handoffs and gap runs that are like pulling guards and, you know, not zone runs and not zone reads. And when they have gone up against dual threat quarterbacks, it's just been a completely different story. So if you go back and look at what Malik Cunningham has done to Wake Forest all these years, I mean, he has just absolutely torn them apart. Uh, Louisville has kind of owned this series. And, I mean, they've scored at least 34 points in, what, five years that Malik Cunningham has been there? So if you look at the other dual threats that Wake has gone up against this year, DJ and Clemson, he had 58 yards. They were all on designed and scrambles. Will Shipley had over 100, and that's from the zone read. Liberty is the one where, I mean, Liberty is the one that stuck out in my mind. And the reason that I wanted to make this bet, because Kadon Salter had mm. 90 yards on the ground. Day-Day Hunter had only 19, but it was the zone read that they absolutely could not defend whatsoever. Wake Forest was a little bit lost. So yeah, they have great rush numbers. But when yeah, they you, only beat Liberty by one. Yeah, when you go back to that Liberty game and you start watching highlights of that, it's like, oh shit, they can't defend dual threat quarterbacks. Uh, they're going to pick one or the other, right? Uh, the, the defensive end is going to pick one and the other one's just going to fly off. And that is not a good combination for a Louisville team that not only has Malik Cunningham, but they've got like, I don't know, five running backs that are all healthy now. Like Tyon Evans, most likely available per Satterfield. Uh, Trevion Cooley's the most explosive out of all the running backs. And Jawar Jordan, he's created more missed tackles than any other running back. So they got three of them that can line up next to Malik Cunningham and explode. And I say this every time we bet on Louisville, oh, the penalties are going to kill us. Hopefully we can survive. But at the base core of this bet, think about that Liberty game because that dual threat quarterback combination on the ground has torn Wake Forest apart. All right. I think you convinced me. L's up. All right. Here's a game I am on and do like, and that's UCF at home, two-point home favorite over under 56, 330 Eastern on ESPN. Uh, I love UCF here. Still some issues with Cincy. I just haven't been impressed with them all year. They couldn't put, like, Indiana away. They were struggling with Miami, Ohio, and their backup quarterback. And these are bad teams. Could have lost the USF at home. They have issues. Like, the the penalties and the offensive line, these are things that they didn't deal with last year, and they're correlated because a lot of these are pre-snap penalties. And their offensive line, they were supposed to return all five stars, supposed to be the strength of the offense. But then they had injuries in the preseason, another injury. This year they've been shifting guys around. Now you're going to the bounce house with all that noise. I think penalty is going to be more of a problem. Look, this they faced a bunch of poor rush offenses. SMU, Tulsa, Indiana, Miami, Ohio are poverty rush offenses. The two rush offenses that rank at the top 30, South Florida and Arkansas, each ran for 225, five yards per clip. Well, UCF ranks in the top 20 nationally in yards per carry, EPA per rush, rush success rate. Everything starts on the ground with them. That's why I faded them to ECU. Because ECU's run defense has been elite. That's not necessarily the case with Cincinnati this year. They do get after the quarterback at an elite level, but I think that Plumlee can use their aggressiveness against them here. Yeah, I, I just I'm not sure that since he's pass attack, which their leading receiver was in a boot last week in Scott, I it la really lacks explosiveness this year. I don't think they can really exploit UCF's weaker pass defense. So yeah, I think this is a bounce back spot in the bounce house. Favorable situational spot and matchup, in my opinion. Yeah, by the way, I mentioned Dykes' record. When ranked on the road against unranked teams, he's the least profitable the last 40 years. The second least profitable, Luke Fickle, one and eight against the spread, failing to cover by eight points per game. Uh, I think this is a great spot to back UCF. 
I think Cincy is yet to be exposed, but they're about to be. UCF gets its revenge from the past two seasons losses. What do you got here? I'm on the fence on this because I don't want to lay points with UCF. I mean, I could find a money line out there. Cincinnati has not played. Even Fickle said this. We have not played in a hostile environment since week one against Arkansas. Uh, Since he's dead last in penalties. I'm not trying to back a road team that's dead last in penalties. Uh, Go into a hostile environment. Uh, It's just not a good formula whatsoever. UCF's second leading target, wide receiver Javon Baker. He's he's been limited. He just had one target last week. Malzahn says it's day-to-day. That guy is 2.6 yards per route run. So when Plumlee does decide to throw, that is the weapon that he really needs. It's UCF or nothing here. Rolling with Malzahn, uh, Springdale, Arkansas zone. <laughs> yeah, it's all about dust this weekend. Uh, I, I love UCF. One of my favorite bets of the weekend. All right. Ole Miss at Texas A&M. Texas A&M, one and a half win underdog. Over under 55. This game's at 7 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network. One thing that I'll mention with Ole Miss is, and this kind of goes along with what you're saying, and you'll add context when we get to that. I, I Last week, Lane Kiffin, you know, came out. Ole Miss came out pretty hot. And then they got dominated in the second half, right? So I said to myself, I, I feel like this happens a lot, like Ole Miss, and this year in particular. Now, a lot of it was like they took their foot off the gas this year. But I was like, I feel like Kiffin comes out with a good, great scripted plays, has a great game plan. He always has, you know, he's a great play schemer. And I think, I feel like Ole Miss always comes out hot, but then they fizzle in the second half and he always gets beat in coaching adjustments. So I went and checked in his career, Lane Kiffin's career. This is stunning. He's 72 and 41 against the spread in the first half, but the best of all time. Most profitable coach of all, 64%, 72 and 41. You know what he is in the second half? The yeah. worst of any current coach, 44, 60 and five, 42.7%. So I'll, I'll wait for you to talk about this in our Moneyline underdog segment. But if Texas A&M is down at the half, keep that in mind because, which you'll get to, Ole Miss has played like a million games in a row. So not only do you have this adjustment advantage, Tech, Ole Miss could is just gonna like could lose its legs. Like they might have nothing left. Like we talked about with ECU, who by the way is also on a short trip in altitude. So keep that in mind. If Ole Miss is close at the half, I'm gonna be most likely a Texas A&M second half. We'll get we'll get more insight when we get to the money line dog segment. All right, I do want to remind everyone to make sure you check out our group of five guys, Mike and Mike. They do a tremendous job covering the group of five marquee games each week comes out the day before our episode so it's already out make sure you check that out a little shorter than ours really easy to digest they do a tremendous job um so check out my guys mike and mike all right let's get into some trash baby Mm, what's that smell it stinks what do you mean this trash the sweet sweet trash the trash is a gold mine Oh my, oh my, oh my. All right, Colin, every week I'm saying everyone's still loving this segment, but there's going to be one week where it goes wrong. So just it's my uh, caveat. <laughs> I'm saying that we've only got like five uh, weeks left. You, it's you, been you good so far. It. So hopefully, hopefully I can, it's, uh, I can jinx it where it's, it's good all year, but yeah, I, I look, I can stay red hot for an entire college football season. It's a, it's a small sample size. Like you can go, I could be cold for a college, it's like 12 weeks. So hopefully this is the season I am hot every weekend. And Barrett's goes my way. And then next year, 
we'll worry about next year, next year. What does Tomlin say? Last week was last week. This week was this week. Next week will be next week. All right, so let's get into some trash. I got six games here. You know the first one. By the way, the first one is uh, Charlotte. Plus 16 and a half at Rice. This line is crazy. Rice should not be a 17-point favorite here. They were a seven-point dog, I think, at Charlotte last year, and they lost in overtime. Rice is is much improved, but uh, this is uh, mainly, look, I was going to be done with Charlotte. And by the way, everyone gives me shit for Charlotte. I'm two and three against the spread betting them this year, okay? Last week was the swing. It was embarrassing. Now, there's been some embarrassing losses, but UTEP could have went either way. But, yeah, so I've been really wrong on them and then really right. Like, easy cover against UAB. They won outright against Georgia State. So, it hasn't been – I've had worse teams. But, look, this is a new new coach bump. We've seen it all year. Look, Georgia Tech, huge upset. Arizona State, huge upset. Colorado, huge upset. These are teams that were corpses prior to firing their coach. Wisconsin fires their coach, wins 42-7. to The one exception was Nebraska when they let Scott Frost go. So, hopefully, you know, it's like 4-1. to one. We get a – not a Nebraska situation here. Charlotte's defense is a lost cause, whatever. But they do have the better offense in this matchup. Like, I have their offense rated higher. And, and they've been unlucky. Like, they are – I have them top 35 success rate on offense. They are – look, they've only converted 8 of 23 fourth downs, bottom 10. Their opponents are 13 of 18, top 10. Turnovers, they've been unlucky. So, like, they're off – their defense sucks. Like, their defense is worse than the country. But their offense should have some positive variance, and I'm hoping that – the new coach gives some around. They have some new looks here. Yeah, I'm taking Charlotte. I haven't put it in the app yet because why? It's at 16 and a half. I'm waiting to see if it goes to 17. But if even if it doesn't, I will be on Charlotte. We're back on the train. We're back, baby. And see this FIU shirt? I will buy a Rice shirt and wear it next week if Charlotte doesn't cover. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Charlotte went outright. So we're back. <laughs> we'll see if Stucky brings Charlotte to the show on Saturday. Oh, wait, it's against Rice, our two banned teams from the show. I know, I know. I, 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 listen, I dove a little bit into this game. I, to me, it's an under. I project this in the high 40s. Helps the dog. If you like the under, helps yeah. the dog. I mean, Rice is a complete snail. 30.1 seconds per play. There's no explosives that's going to happen here. And the Rice rush defense is the strongest unit here in the game. Uh, and, and and you're right. If Charlotte's going to pass, they're going to have a good time because Rice doesn't really defend the pass very well. But at the same time, these two teams are inept at getting it into the end zone. So I, I don't know where this total comes from. 59, very key. So I would get the best of that and get under. Charlotte can't run it at all, by the way. So And they don't like to. So I hope they don't run it at all. So like the strength of Rice's defense doesn't mean anything. Charlotte can't run it against anybody. Right. Another reason to like Charlotte, baby. We're back. Nine five nine bad beat when they lose by fifty to Rice. It's gonna be embarrassing. Um, what time is that game? One Central. God, nice and liquored up by one Central. Sometimes a game can be so bad it's almost good. You know what I'm saying? No. All right, let's go. This one's hold your nose territory. Hopefully, we get another caller this week on this game in the first quarter. We're going back to Cal. 17 and a half is too many points here. Look, if you adjust for opponent, Oregon's defense sucks. Like, suck. They are awful. So, like, I don't mind in a bad spot. Like, they blew out UCLA. Their offense has been rolling. It's road bow Knicks. Cal just plays up and down to their opponent. Been over this a million times. Justin Wilcox, 23-9-1 against the spread as an underdog. He is 17-3 and against the spread as a dog when he's getting more than seven points. And he's also awful as a favorite. 
Why is that? Okay, so let's go break it because the trend doesn't mean anything unless there's a reason. Well, Cal plays, they just prevent, they don't allow explosive plays. So they make you like drive it up and down the field, which is important here against Oregon. They'll drop their safeties way back and you got to work down the field. And then on offense, they're like a snail and they are an old school, rotten, outdated West Coast offense. So they, they're going to go slow. They got to like complete short passes all over the field. They could do that here. Like the pass success rate for Oregon is not great. And Oregon isn't getting pressure on the quarterback, which is massive against Cal because Cal's offensive line stinks and Plummer can't move. He's a statue. It's one of the problems with Cal's D, Cal's O, excuse me, this year because Garbers could move around and he masked some of their offensive line issues. But uh, yeah, Cal just finds ways to be in games with everyone, no matter who they play, no matter who bad or good. And this is just a good spot to back them. And like I said, Oregon's defense is really bad. So, like, Cal could score some points here. This game could be, like – and Oregon's going to score, but Cal's like, grind this game down, make them drive the field. Maybe Oregon comes out flat. It's road Bo Nix. Maybe he throws a couple picks. Bo Nix season in full effect. Uh, I'll say Oregon by 10. 17 and a half is where the value begins on Cal. This Oregon team is not the same when they're on the road. They have just one cover. That was Arizona. They just have one over. That was against Wazoo. Uh, you know, if there's a little bit of steam, I'd love it to get to 50. And Wazoo, they were down 16 with five to go in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how bad is this Oregon defense? It convinced Stucky and I in the 70s last week to take it over. That's how <laughs> yeah. bad this defense is. That's all you got to say. So, uh you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I think if there's steam at 59, I would take an under here because Cal wants to yuck it up. Yeah, Stuggy's right. 17. If you could gut it, what time is this? Oh, God, the game's in the middle of the day. Or, woof. Yeah, 17 and a half. You can gut it. Yeah, sleepy spot. You got to flush that thing down the toilet like your goldfish in fourth grade, man. That thing's dead and gone. Uh, all right, here's the next one. UMass home dog. I don't, I'm not going to even break it down. This doesn't, this game doesn't deserve to be broken down. My, my reasoning, is New Mexico State does not deserve to be a road favorite in a meaningless game for them going across the country to face UMass. UMass home dog taking it. <laughs> I can't. Well, I will say this. There's been three home games for UMass. They've covered two of them. So at least they're covering games at home. And you're right. New Mexico State shouldn't be favored over anybody, no matter if I have a power rating. This says it should be New Mexico uh, State minus three. You know, both teams are coming off of a bye week. You know, at some point, we've got to throw UMass into a, a round robin uh, on the show. And I was thinking about it. We've got to include all of our children. So I think this Saturday, uh, we'll keep you guys on your toes. I think maybe the Minutemen are going to be a go-to play. Rutgers at Minnesota. I'm considering Rutgers. Their run defense has been tremendous. Um, and by the way, Ohio State, something to mention when they played Rutgers, Rutgers was missing three starters in the secondary, if you're looking into some of their data points. But, you know, Rutgers now healthy. Their offense stinks, but their run defense is really good. Like their defense overall is really good now that it's healthy. Minnesota's been lost on offense. They can't throw the ball. I don't know if Tanner Morgan's going to play. Tanner Morgan! But Rutgers' run D can – and this game – and Minnesota plays like a snail – how will Rutgers score? I don't know. Their offense is so bad. Their special teams are also elite. Uh, it's either – I'm thinking about Rutgers plus 14. If Morgan's out, for sure. But maybe I just go under 40 and a half here I, because Minnesota is like the slowest team ever, and they all they want to do is run it. 
but you can't really run it on Rutgers. And Rutgers' offense is horrendous. Maybe this is an underplay, but at 14, I'm like tempted by Rutgers just because of the matchup. And Minnesota also obliterated by Penn State. They've lost like three in a row. Now you're home against Rutgers and like your Big Ten division. Like they're just have to be deflated like that. So I, I don't think it's a great spot for Minnesota either. I don't know. Yeah. Think about I, Rutgers in the under. I mean, I make it 14 and a half. I think you made a great case for taking the Rutgers team total under. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. But on a side note, did did everybody happen to see the 2023 Big Ten schedule that came out? Holy shit, Minnesota. I believe they drew Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. There will be no Minnesota futures in 2023 coming from the Action Network at all. Minnesota got death row scheduling next year. And it's fucked up, but that is the way it is. All right, let's, uh, here's an ugly one. <laughs> Iowa minus 11. Oh. I'm thinking about Iowa minus 11. I can't figure out Northwestern's going to score. I'm assuming they're going to go with their backup quarterback again. Northwestern gets to like seven points against any t- defense with a pulse. And their defense isn't very good. So I think Iowa is going to get to – I mean, Northwestern's defense is bad. I mean, Iowa's offense is horrendous. They have seven offensive touchdowns in the year. But the Iowa defense is probably going to score here. They're special teams. I, I don't know. I think that they get to like 20. And I don't think – I think this is like 20-something to seven. So I'm thinking about laying the 11 with Iowa. Yeah, I mean, I make it 13. So, I mean, this kind of caught my eye. But then, you know, if you pay attention to the news, uh, Ferenc is in trouble for saying, I'm glad I'm not that guy, like making fun of a reporter that asked a question. You know, of course, his son is under big-time scrutiny for that offense, being the offensive coordinator. So, <sighs> I'm not saying they're capable of doing it, but do they change the playbook? Do they try something new? Because anything, anything has got to be better than what they currently have on the field. Yeah, put the freshman QB in. They have Petrus and uh, Padilla Padilla listed as or as the starters. but Yeah, so, I mean, the market's telling me, I mean, what, we opened at nine, we're at 11 and a half, and and it's actually climbing a little bit, and I make the number 13. So, yeah, I think Iowa's the play, but. I don't know. It's like it's like asking to get kicked in the nuts and maybe you'll get paid out. I, I don't know. Look, I'm a, I'm one and zero against the spread betting. I was a double digit favorite this year, and that took seven and a half hours till three in the morning. Nothing will be worse than that. So I am mentally prepared for this, and that was like in an island spot. Like it was the only game on I had to watch. All right, let's uh one final trash, and the reason I put it in here is because last time I put it in the trash, it covered Michigan State when I put them in the trash against Wisconsin, when we took them, they covered. So Michigan state plus 23 against Michigan. I'm on it. This is too many points. This line has gotten out of hand. Look, Michigan really wants this game. Yeah. They lost back-to-back years as they lost as 21 point favorites at home two years ago. Granted, there was no fans in the stands. Wolverines are talking shit. Michigan state's kind of staying quiet. Who cares? They want They didn't want the game last year. Michigan state also wants this game. They're, they're in state rivals. Now it could come into play if like Harbaugh wants to run up the score. So maybe that's that's the angle. But both teams off of a bye week, that's much more important for Michigan State. Like they needed to get healthy. Peyton Doran is going to be healthy. Like Xavier Henderson in the Wisconsin game, he's their most important defender in the secondary. He was in a boot getting his leg worked on every almost every time he came off the field. He's apparently now fully healthy. Slade should be back. He's important in the run game. What does Michigan want to do? They want to run the ball. Michigan State's run he's good. Now their pass defense is horrendous. Horrendous, but you have Henderson back. And I just think with Thorne now healthy, 
Their offense is underperformed because he's been hurt. He had read out for a game. I think they can use some tempo here and like Maryland did and score some points. And I, I think this is just too many points. It's like if you go back since 2005, Michigan State 12 and 5 against the spread in this matchup, covered by just over under a touchdown a game. They've won four of six outright as dogs. Like this is a rivalry game. Like, but it's, and I think that always favors the big dog. Um, too many points here. Give me Michigan State. Yeah, I mean, a case can be made for the over here. And when you talk about, it's funny you say horrendous. My word for that was horrific. I mean, the Sparty pasty is extremely bad. Uh, and, you know, this is a revenge game for for Harbaugh, like you mentioned. I mean, cash your tickets. I went to Big Ten Media Days. And uh, <laughs> Harbaugh could not stop talking about achieving all of his goals. Win the Big Ten. Beat Ohio State. And beat Michigan State. We have not beaten Michigan State. It's, it eats at him that they haven't done this. So how does that apply to the over, right? Well, what it means is, is first off, this point spread is not legit. It's too high, right? So if you can grin, bear, yeah, it's it's too high. But I think the deal is, is if Michigan does get up by 17, 14, 17, 20, or even 24, we're not taking knees. We're not slowing down. We are going to continue to score. Now, I think what it's going to be like that Iowa game last year in the Big Ten t- Championship. Yeah, yeah. So Harbaugh's not going to let him take his foot off the pedal if he has the chance to go for the jugular on Tucker here. Not sure he does, though. I mean, the Spartans got 34 on Wisconsin. They had two offensive TDs on, on, on the Buckeyes. I know that there was a a pick, I think a pick six in that game. So, But I think Harbaugh's just been so uber-focused on this game. It's at home. But what worries me about taking the over, I do want to take the over. There's My book in Iowa is offering 54 and a half. I'd like to get the over on that. But I think what worries me is if Harbaugh decides we want to play bully ball and keep it on the ground and not air it out, which is what you should do against Michigan State, that's a little bit of a worry. But to me, if you could take it, Michigan State, it's completely overinflated. They're scoring points now. And then the over, because Harbaugh is not going to let up, you just need them to be throwing the ball instead of running the ball. So uh, that's where I go. No, you shouldn't do that against Michigan State. You shouldn't try to just run it up. You should throw it. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michigan, but Michigan wants to always do that, which, yeah. The the problem is, is when Jim Harbaugh gets in these games and he wants to prove a point, like passing is not Michigan's first option, which it should be in this game. That's what worries me about the over. All right, that'll do it for trash. A lot of agreement. Let's hopefully we can keep it rolling. One other game here. Brett McMurphy's going to fall out of his chair if we put UMass on the BBOC on Saturday. He's just going to fall out of his chair. McMurphy, you monstrous erection, you. Texas Tech, by the way, just one of the mentions they play Baylor. I will see who plays quarterback. They are running a trillion plays per minute, and they keep and they, McGuire keeps saying he wants to go faster and faster. They were against West Virginia last week. They were running like three plays per minute, and they were up huge. They are running a lot of lot a lot of plays. And when he got hired, it was because the AD said he just wants to go back to like the Kingsbury days. They just want electrical. They are going. They are trying to break records recently, and they said they want to go faster. Something to keep in mind. Texas Tech, Kansas in a couple weeks over city. Oh, one last order of business before we go three and out, Colin. San Diego State, let's yeah. get a couple in a row here. Yeah. Uh, at Fresno, Fresno minus eight and a half, over under 41. Over or under? You got one minute. Uh, I hit the over. I want to get ahead of the steam in case Jake Hayner is actually playing. Aztec overs. Fresno is keeping practices off limits to the media. They want to keep his status quiet. Uh, Logan Fife actually had an explosive designed run last week. 
But, hey, this is all about Jalen Maiden for San Diego State. He is a loaded quarterback, 6'3", 220. He looks like a linebacker coming off of a pick six, uh, 58 rushing he's a, yards. He's a converted safety, but he was, a, yeah. he was a quarterback at Miss State like five years ago. He had two rushes last week, that's it, and created five missed tackles. The dude is an animal. So over. And if the Hainer news hits that he's going to play, I expect the over to steam. So I'm getting in on it now, 40 and a half, 41, whatever we're at. If Colin has a segment on Aztec overs, isn't it time for Stucky to have his own segment on Bet in Charlotte? I even have the perfect name for it. Club shit. Um, all right, let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, let's start off with our favorite bet. I'll start things off here. I'll start with Missouri. I liked them anything over a field goal. This is one of the first bets I made this week, I think on Monday or Tuesday. I, I've been riding South Carolina. I, I played them at Kentucky, but they played a backup quarterback. Said their defense, you know, had injuries early in the year. They were undervalued. Played them last week against Texas A&M. Covered. Pretty fortunate. If you look at that box score. Missouri, by the way, so, but now it's time to jump off South Carolina. They're ranked now. I think the market is uh, overvaluing them. I don't do not think I think this game's a coin flip, by the way. Missouri, I think, is the team now that's undervalued in the market. If you look, you know, they won by three last week against Vandy. Sh- should have been more. This defense is legit. This Missouri defense is the real deal, especially against the run. And this is a Missouri team that went on the road. They should have beat Auburn on the road. They had a, a missed field goal from their great kicker, and then they fumbled the ball going into the end zone to win the game. They should have beat Florida. They outplayed Florida in that game. If not for a pick six, they win that game. They were the better team there. And they went, they played Georgia, like even at home. This run D is legit. That's what you need against South Carolina, who's, you know, Marshawn Lloyd's a stud. They can't throw the ball with Spencer Rattler. The Missouri secondary has also been good for what it's worth. So, you know, the Missouri offense has been ugly, but I think that they can get some their ground game going here against South Carolina. And uh, yeah, this is, I'll take the better defense here in a good spot on the road at South Carolina. Give me Missouri. Yeah. I'm going to pivot over and go with a USC team total over. I am just drawn to this number. How USC does not post a 50 burger on Arizona. is just going to be shocking to me. And you need help from the other side to score that many points. You're going to get that out of Arizona this week. Arizona is the fastest offense USC has faced this year, 23 seconds per play. When you look at what USC has done against other teams that run fast offenses, like Wazoo's 24 seconds per play, uh, Arizona State's like 26. No one has been as fast as this Arizona team. Arizona is also explosive on offense, which means there should be an increase of possessions. Going back to that Wazoo game, USC had 11 possessions. There could be 13 or 14 possessions for the USC Trojans here. And right now, they're top 20 in red zone TD rate. And what that means is, is I think they've only had like four field goals to 27 touchdowns. They score touchdowns. They do not kick. Arizona is dead last and defensive finishing drives. What that means is, is every USC drive that goes past the 40 is going to turn into a touchdown, something that they do anyways. And then the Arizona defense is dead last and standard down success rate. That is a long way of saying all USC has to do is hike the ball on first and 10, and they're going to be granted another first down. If Delora hits explosives and has quick scores to Jacob Cowing or any of his other targets for Arizona, that helps this USC team total over because it gives them the ball back. 
I will take Arizona quick scores all day, which we might get here. Now, I know Jordan Addison is day-to-day. I know that from a yards per route run, he is their most explosive weapon on the outside. But Mario Williams has as many snaps at wideout, and he's also over two yards uh, per uh, per two yards per route run, which means he's explosive. Also, give me USC team total over. Look for fourteen possessions, a touchdown on ten of them. We'll get over that number, which I believe is about forty-seven and a half, forty-six and a half. So we need a fifty burger out of the Trojans. All right, uh, that'll do it for our best bets. Let's move on to second down. And let's talk our favorite overdog. For those not familiar, that's our favorite favorite. And Colin, you did this to me earlier in the year. You switched up the order because I could not hit a money line dog to save my life. Yeah. That has turned. We've hit. Th- we've hit both three out of the past four weeks. We'll get to that on third down. But you've missed two favorites in a row. Well, I've hit two favorites in a row. So it's time to get you hot. Yeah. Which means switch the order, and you're going to go first with your favorite favorite. My wife gets pissed at me because I changed clothes like four times in the middle of a college football Saturday because I have to change it up. I change it up and things just start to work. So I'll go first. I'll do Georgia as my favorite overdog here. This Florida defense from a success rate perspective, they are outside the top 100. They're not generating any havoc. There is no one in zone coverage to defend Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is an absolute animal. And oh, by the way, Darnell Washington is there on the other hash mark ready to take one down the seam. Florida's 130th and third down defense. That is just going to equate to Georgia going up and down the field here. They're top 10 and converting third downs. And that's even to say that the Florida defense can get Georgia into third down. We're not even sure that that's going to be able to happen. So look for the Bulldogs to stay ahead of schedule on offense. They're going to have lots of scoring opportunities. That's a place where Florida has really struggled the entire season. And if Florida does get them into passing downs, uh, you know, the Gators defense is 129th in defensive success rate in passing down. So, you know, Georgia is just going to have a field day on offense. When you go to the other side here, you have to ask, can Florida score? I mean, what was this game last year? 34 to seven. Georgia isn't causing a ton of havoc. Uh, They they don't really have a pass rush. It's 83rd. So the Bulldogs play about 70% zone coverage, and that's going to hinder the Anthony Richardson scrambles. A lot what you saw with Kentucky is what Georgia is going to do on their defense. So I expect limitations of Anthony Richardson. All we really have to worry about is the coach that will not be named him and all of these up-tempo things that he does with two minutes left, like he did against Tennessee trying to cover, but Georgia should absolutely have a field day here on offense. And the defense is going to keep Anthony Richardson at bay. I like it. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with Miami of Ohio minus eight against Akron. I think you're getting the Red Hawks cheap here. They've had a bad start to the season, but Gabbert, Brett Gabbert came back last week. And he struggled, but that was to be expected. He hasn't played since the opener. There was rust, and they were running a completely different offense with their backup quarterback. Now you get another week of practice. You have that adjustment period. I think the Miami offense will look a lot better. Plus, you're playing one of the worst secondaries in the country in Akron. On the other side of the ball, Akron can't run the ball at all. Miami Ohio's run D is very good, top 25. So they're going to be in passing downs a lot, and – their offensive line is horrible in pass protection. Miami of Ohio lives on trying to get pressure and sending blitzes. So I think that they're going to create enough negative plays here. And I think that this line is cheap at Akron. There's no home field advantage since 2005. Akron is the least profitable home underdog by a mile. They are 17 and 36, 32% against the spread as a home dog, failing to cover by eight points per game. Uh, yeah, so I don't mind. I think that 
anytime you can fade Akron at home, because you it's getting baked in the line. It shouldn't. Like there's no there's not a lot of travel in the Mac and <laughs> Akron just doesn't have a good home field advantage right now. I think it's a good matchup and a good bounce back spot for my bio. Should get a bump with Gabbard in a second game back. All right, let's move on to third down. Our favorite money line underdog. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Like I said, we are white hot. White hot. And we've hit three. We've hit both games three of the past four weeks, including back-to-back sweeps. I will get things started. I'm going to go Notre Dame. I'm going to go short dog here on the road. Uh, I think that their ground game is the difference here. The Syracuse team overvalued. Potential letdown spot after, you know, you're not going to win the ACC. You could say goodnight to your college football hopes. But I think that Notre Dame could get into the backfield here on passing downs. But more importantly, they're just going to control the line of scrimmage against a weak Syracuse defense. Give me the Irish on the road where they have performed well all year. Hung with Ohio State. Neutral site dominated BYU. On the road dominated UNC. Give me the Irish. Yeah, I'm going to go with Texas A&M on the money line at home hosting Ole Miss. Ole Miss is exhausted. This is their ninth game in a row. You saw them deflate in the second half last week. Now they go on the road against a Texas A&M team that has not had a home game since September 17th when they beat Miami. It has been forever and a day since Jimbo was in the friendly confines. And, yeah, Haynes King has had some issues. He'll be there. We don't know how healthy he is. And, yeah, Connor Wegman is expected to get the lion's share of snaps if King isn't able to go. But really, this is all about Ole Miss and their fatigue. Zach Evans at running back missed the LSU game. He was expected to go, not healthy enough. We don't know if he's going to play in this game. Their top three tacklers on defense have all been dealing with injuries. So the health of this team is suffering. And then when you look at the actual execution on the field, Ole Miss is not performing the same way that they were a month ago. For example, running back Rashawn Judkins, his production at running back is just coming to a halt. A full season average of 3.1 yards after contact. Last three games, 1.8, 2.4, 2.3. They are not getting the push. They are not getting opportunity yards after they get contact. Jackson Dart has a 4% turnover-worthy play rate for the season. In three of his last four games against LSU, Vandy, and Kentucky, he has posted at least a 6% turnover-worthy play rate. His play is completely on the decline. And second-leading tackler A.J. Finley played just 24 snaps against LSU. He only had one tackle. This team is absolutely exhausted on both sides of the ball. They need to get to a bye week, which is next week, pretty fast. Uh, I mean, the defense has given give it gave up 553 yards on the ground to LSU and Auburn over the past two weeks, and then throw in the fact that Texas A&M's defensive coordinator DJ Durkin left Ole Miss. He's now doing the same position for Texas A&M. You heard Lane Kiffin make some jokes in the media this week about how they just couldn't afford him, and Texas A&M can buy everybody. Listen, that is a plus for Texas A&M in this spot because he's gone up against Lane Kiffin in practice all the time and knows how his mind works on offense. Give me Texas A&M. Don't need the points. It is a fantastic spot against a very fatigued and tired Ole Miss team. Yeah, keep in mind the second half. If if uh, Ole Miss does hang around or it's close, look for Texas A&M second half, as I mentioned earlier. All right, that'll do it for us. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe to a friend, tell an enemy. 10.30 a.m. Eastern, by the way, Saturday morning. Colin, myself, and Brett McMurphy, Big Bets on Campus Live, presented by BetMGM. We'll break down the college football slate and any updated information. 
thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Colin, as always, for joining me. Thanks to our video and audio team on the back end who do a tremendous job each and every week and don't get enough credit. Leave a five-star review. We'll do giveaways. Producer, if you have a couple you want to give away, mention them now. Hey, sure thanks, Ducky. We have three winners this week. We got Phil in St. Louis, M. St. Clair 13, and best impression out there. Thank you to you three for your five-star reviews. Email me at podcasts at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize. And a special shout-out to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns who covered the live 15 and a half while I was editing this podcast. You guys are all right. Just leave a five-star review. Borrow someone's phone if you've already done it. Helps us out. You can make fun of me for dumpster diving, whatever. Just five-star review. Do appreciate it. Let's keep it rolling this weekend. I'll see you in the dumpster. Let's have a day. And uh, by the way, we'll be back Monday morning. Recap the weekend, 959. Bad beat. Call us all weekend. Let us know how you feel. Good luck to everyone. Catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.